Chapter Seven of the Harapeth Property by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Is there a will? When Triffitt hurried off with his precious budget of news, Selwood lingered on the step of the office, watching his retreating figure and wondering about the new idea which the reporter had put into his mind. It was one of those ideas which instantly arouse all sorts of vague, sinister possibilities, but Selwood found himself unable to formulate anything definite out of any of them. Certainly, if Mr. Herapath died at or before twelve o'clock midnight, he could not have been in Portman Square at one o'clock in the morning. Yet, according to all evidence, he had been there in his own house, in his own study. His coachman had seen him in the act of entering the house. There was proof that he had eaten food and drunk liquor in the house. The doctor must have made a mistake. And yet, Selwood remembered he had spoken very positively. But if he had not made a mistake, what then? How could Jacob Herapath be lying dead in his office at Kensington and nibbling at a sandwich in Portman Square at one and the same hour? Clearly there was something wrong, something deeply mysterious, something... At that point in his surmisings and questionings, Selwood heard himself called by Barthorpe Herapath, and he turned to see that gentleman standing in the hall, dangling a bunch of keys, which Selwood instantly recognized. "'We have just found these keys,' said Barthorpe. "'You remember the inspector said he found no keys in my uncle's pockets? We found these pushed away under some loose papers on the desk. It looks as if he put them on the desk when he sat down and had displaced them when he fell out of his chair. Of course they're his. Perhaps you recognize them. Yes, answered Selwood abruptly. They're his. I want you to come with me while I open his private safe, continued Barthorpe. At junctures like these, there are always things that have got to be done. Now, did you ever hear my uncle speak of his will? Whether he made one, and if so, where he put it? Hear anything? Nothing, replied Selwood. I never heard him mention such a thing. Well, between ourselves, said Barthorpe, neither did I. I've done all his legal work for him for a great many years, ever since I began to practice, in fact, and so far as I know, he never made a will. More than once I suggested that he should make one, but like most men who are in good health and spirits, he always put it off. However, we must look over his papers both here and at Portman Square. Selwood made no comment. He silently followed Barthorpe into the private room in which his late employer had so strangely met his death. The body had been removed by that time, and everything bore its usual aspect, save for the presence of the police inspector and the detective who were peering about them in the mysterious fashion associated with their calling. The inspector was looking narrowly at the fastening of the two windows apparently debating the chances of entrance and exit from them. The detective, armed with a magnifying glass, was examining the edges of the door, the smooth backs of chairs, even the surface of the desk, presumably for finger marks. "'I shan't disturb you,' said Barthorpe genially. "'Mr. Selwood and I merely wish to investigate the contents of this safe. There's no likelihood of finding what I am particularly looking for in any of his drawers in that desk, he continued, turning to Selwood, 
I knew enough of his habits to know that anything in there will be of a purely business nature, referring to the estate. If he did keep anything that's personal here, it'll be in that safe. Now, which is the key, do you know? He handed the bunch of keys to Selwood, and Selwood, who was feeling strangely apathetic about the present proceedings, took them mechanically and glanced carelessly at them. Then he started. "'There's a key missing,' he exclaimed, suddenly, waking into interest. "'I know these keys well enough. Mr. Herapath was constantly handing them to me. There ought to be six keys here, the key of this safe, the key of the safe at Portman Square, the latch key for this office, the key of this room, the latch key of the house, and a key of a safe at the Alpha Safe Deposit Place. That one, the safe deposit key, is missing. Barthorpe knitted his forehead, and the two police officials paused in their tasks and drew near the desk at which Selwood was standing. Are you certain of that? asked Barthorpe. Sure, answered Selwood. As I say, I've been handling these keys every day since I came to Mr. Herapath. When did you handle them last? Yesterday afternoon, not so very long before Mr. Herapath went down to the house. That was in Portman Square. He gave them to me to get some papers out of the safe there. Was the safe deposit key there at the time? They were all there, all six, I'm certain of it, asserted Selwood. This is the key of this safe, he went on, selecting one. Open the safe then, said Barthorpe. Another safe at the Alpha, huh? he continued musingly. I never knew he had a safe there. Did you ever know him to use it? I've been to it myself, answered Selwood. I took some documents there and deposited them two days ago. There's not very much in this safe, he went on, throwing open the door. It's not long since I tidied it out at his request. So far as I know, there are no private papers of any note there. He never made much use of this safe, in my presence, at any rate. Well, we'll see what there is anyhow, remarked Barthorpe. He began to examine the contents of the safe methodically, taking the various papers and documents out one by one and laying them in order on a small table which Selwood wheeled up to his side. Within twenty minutes he had gone through everything, and he began to put the papers back. No will there, he murmured. We'll go to Portman Square now, Mr. Selwood. After all, it's much more likely that he kept his will in the safe at his own house, if he made one, but I don't believe he ever made a will. Mr. Terrence's and Peggy Wynne were still in the study when Barthorpe and Selwood drove up to the house. The driver of the taxicab had just gone away, and Mr. Tertus was discussing his information with Peggy. Hearing Barthorpe's voice in the hall, he gave her a warning glance. Quick, he said hurriedly, attend to what I say. Not a word to your cousin about the man who has just left us. At present, I don't want Mr. Barthorpe Herapath to know what he told us. Be careful, my dear. Not a word. I'll tell you why later on. But at present, silence strict silence barthorpe herapath came bustling into the room followed by selwood who as it seemed to peggy looked utterly unwilling for whatever task might lay before him at sight of mr tertius barthorpe came to a sudden halt and frowned i don't want to discuss matters further mr tertius he said coldly i thought i had given you a hint already 
my cousin and i have private matters to attend to and i shall be obliged if you'll withdraw you've got private rooms of your own in this house i believe at any rate until things are settled and it will be best if you keep to them mr tertius who had listened to this unmoved turned to peggy do you wish me to go away he asked quietly barthorpe turned on him with an angry scowl it's not a question of what miss wynne wishes but of what i order he burst out if you have any sense of fitness you'll know that until my uncle's will is found and his wishes ascertained i'm master here mr tertius and you're not my master barthorpe exclaimed peggy with a sudden flash of spirit i know what my uncle's wishes were as regards to mr tertius and i intend to respect them i've always been mistress of this house since my uncle brought me to it and i intend to be until i find i've no right to be mr tertius you'll please stop where you are i intend to said mr tertius calmly i never had any other intention mr barthorpe herapath i believe will hardly use force to compel me to leave the room barthorpe bit his lips as he glanced from one to the other oh he said so that's how things are very good mr tertius no i shan't use physical force but mind i don't use a little moral force a slight modicum of that would be enough for you i'm thinking do i understand that you are using threatening language to me asked mr tertius mildly barthorpe sneered and turned to selwood we'll open the safe now he said you know which is the key i suppose he went on glaring at peggy who had retreated to the hearthrug and was evidently considerably put out by her cousin's behavior i suppose you never heard my uncle mention a will we've searched his private safe at the office and there's nothing there personally i don't believe he ever made a will i never heard of it and i think he'd have told me if mr tertius broke in upon barthorpe's opinions with a dry cough it may save some unnecessary trouble if i speak at this juncture he said there is a will barthorpe's ruddy cheeks paled in spite of his determined effort to appear unconcerned he twisted round on mr tertius with a startled eye and twitching lips you you say there is a will he exclaimed you say what do you know about it when it was made where it was made and where it is now answered mr tertius where it now is repeated barthorpe where it now is and where is it i should like to know mr tertius who had gone up to peggy laid his hand reassuringly on her arm don't be afraid my dear he whispered perhaps he continued glancing at barthorpe i'd better tell you when and where it was made about six months ago in this room one day mr herapath called me in here he had his then secretary mr burchill with him he took a document out of a drawer told us that it was his will signed it in our joint presence and we witnessed his signature in each other's presence he then placed the will in an envelope which he sealed i do not know the terms of the will but i know where the will is barthorpe's voice sounded strangely husky as he got out one word where mr tertius took peggy by the elbow and led her across the room to a recess in which stood an ancient oak bureau this old desk he said belonged so he always told me to jacob's great-grandfather there is a secret drawer in it here it is 
concealed behind another drawer. You put this drawer out so, and here is the secret one. And here, where I saw Jacob Herapath put it, is the will. Barthorpe, who had followed these proceedings with almost irrepressible eagerness, thrust forward a shaking hand. But Mr. Tertius quietly handed the sealed envelope to Peggy. This envelope, he remarked, is addressed to Miss Wynne. Barthorpe made an effort and controlled himself. Open it, he said hoarsely. Open it. Peggy fumbled with the seal of the envelope and then, with a sudden impulse, passed it to Selwood. Mr. Selwood, she exclaimed imploringly, you, I can't, you open it, and... And let him read it, added Mr. Tertius. Selwood, whose nerves had been strung to a high pitch of excitement by this scene, hastily slit open the envelope and drew out a folded sheet of foolscap paper. He saw at a glance that there was very little to read. His voice trembled slightly as he began a recital of the contents. This is the last will of me, Jacob Herapath, of 500 Portman Square, London, in the county of Middlesex. I give, devise, and bequeath everything of which I die possessed, whether in real or personal estate, absolutely to my niece, Margaret Wynne, now resident with me at the above address. And I appoint the said Margaret Wynne the sole executor of this my will. And I revoke all former wills and codiciles, dated this eighteenth day of April, 1912. Jacob Herapath. Selwood paused there, and a sudden silence fell, to be as suddenly broken by a sharp question from Barthorpe. The witnesses, he said, the witnesses. Selwood glanced at the further paragraph, which he had not thought it necessary to read. Oh, yes, he said, it's witnessed all right, and he went on reading. Signed by the tester, in the presence of us both present at the same time, who in his presence and in the presence of each other, have here the two set our names as witnesses. John Christopher Tertius, of 500 Portman Square, London, Gentlemen. Frank Burchill, of 331 Upper Seymour Street, London, Secretary. As Selwood finished, he handed the will to Peggy, who in her turn hastily gave it to Mr. Tertius. For a moment, nobody spoke. Then Barthorpe made a step forward. Let me see that, he said, in a strangely quiet voice. I don't want to handle it. Hold it up. For another moment he stood gazing steadily, intently, at the signatures at the foot of the document. Then, without a word or look, he twisted sharply on his heel and walked swiftly out of the room and the house. End of chapter 7